<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod, and thank you for joining us. You know, we pride ourselves on being a nation of laws, not of men and women where the law applies equally and where no man or woman is above the law. Yet today, our system of laws is under attack like never before from the very top. We have a president who's attacked the attorney general, the FBI, and the Justice Department, a president who tramples on the separation of powers, a president who overturns convictions made by military tribunals, a president who defies a court order to turn over his tax returns. A president who claims he could shoot and kill somebody on Fifth Avenue, yet not be charged with a crime because, as long as he's president, he is, in fact, above the law. And a president who ordered his White House counsel to fire the attorney general. How should any White House counsel deal with such a lawless president? We sat down to explore that question with Greg Craig, former White House counsel under President Obama. Greg, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining us. You uh, were a White House counsel for President Obama. If, As White House counsel, if the president ever gave you an order to do something that you felt was wrong, what would you do? I'd try to talk him out of it. <laughs> <laughs> or I'd find other people to help me talk him out of it. Um, and I would find ways of changing his direction or modifying it. Um, I think there are always ways... Uh, but that problem never happened, Bill. I mean, we, I might have a disagreement with a president and think it's a mistake for her to do something because of a policy disagreement, but I never was asked to do anything that I thought was an abuse of his power or was wrongful, either ethically or legally. So let's just eliminate right. the hypothetical. Yeah. And then if that hypothetical did exist and he did ask me to do something wrong, I would have tried very hard to talk him out of it. So flash forward to the current administration where things operate a little differently. Well, I don't know exactly how they operate because I've not had insight into... We know the president, for example, told Don McGahn to fire Jeff Sessions. And I don't think he did. And to his credit, he did not, <laughs> right? Um, I, I just... What seems to me to be a constant theme coming out of this White House is chaos. And for example, right now, we're still learning about the degree of distrust and um, lack of cooperation between um, Mulaney and the, and the White House counsel, the current White House counsel. And that there's always that. There's always a little bit of tension and um, either distrust or, um, you know, watching yourself with all the co-people co that you're working with. But there's also an overriding common purpose that overwhelms those disagreements all the time. And it just doesn't seem that the overwhelming common purpose in this White House is overwhelming those disagreements. It's chaotic and 
disorganized and confused. But in that position as White House counsel, did you uh, understand or believe that there were limits to presidential power? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, I can remember a conversation as I came in and Fred Feeling was leaving. Um, and we had worked through the transition very effectively. I think perhaps the George W. Bush, Barack Obama transition is one of the great transitions in the history of presidential administrations. Um, and, and Fred said, and his letter that he left to me under, <laughs> under the blotter said, you always have to remember that this job um, is a job that serves the institution of the presidency, not the individual of the president. And I don't think there was any doubt in President Obama's mind that that was my formal function. And um, he always addressed me in the, in the context of what official duties I had and how I could best serve those obligations while working for him. And now we have a president who has said that under the Constitution, Article 2, I can do whatever I want. It appears to be. I've not had a conversation with him <laughs> right, about but... the Constitution or his interpretation of it. But it does seem that he views his, his writ as being pretty much unlimited, whether it's, um, whether it's foreign policy or whether it's um, a military policy, uh, where the limits are few and far between in both of those areas. And his greatest frustration, of course, is dealing with the Congress. Right. And did, did you receive any subpoenas from Congress? Uh, and how did you respond to them? Of course, the Trump White House saying they do not have to obey any congressional subpoenas. Well, you should remember that I was White House counsel during the first part of Obama's first term. And those, those first two years, we had a Democratic majority in both the House ah, and the Senate. Right. So I would get letters from various ranking members of the minority party asking, not politely, but demanding. And we would not respond to those because that those letters making requests of interviews for interviews or for the production of documents did not have the official uh, stamp of the Congress and weren't subpoenas. So I could answer your question. Um, during the time I was White House counsel, we never got any subpoenas from the Congress. Right. So that question never came up. Never came up. How about executive orders? Um, were they ever challenged? I remember um, that the, the president, as I recall, initially saying that there's a limited use of executive orders, but well, he ended up signing more maybe after you left. No, no. We had, uh, during the transition, mm -hmm. um, there was a major project focused on executive orders. And I think this is true for every transition, whatever the... Um, whatever the president, particularly if there's a change in party, because there's a, a bunch of automatic changes in of policy course. that can right. happen with executive order. And um, just sort of setting a new course. Yeah. Right, for the, yeah. And they're not particularly controversial, although the topic may be controversial. Everybody knows that if a Democratic president is going to come in, that president is going to change policy in this area. UN funding or something, you know. Um, so we had teams working on various uh, subject matters during the transition focused on a number of things. One, identifying those areas that we, the president really wanted to um, make really uh, uh, changes immediately. And then also making sure that we had touched base 
with the stakeholders, which included Congress, because the, the every single topic that you were going to address, whether it was the teenage pregnancy or um, you know new drug f- formats, um, there was always a group of members in the House and Senate, Republicans and Democrats, who cared a lot. And so you wanted to get them in the process. And then there were stakeholders that were non-governmental operators that you also wanted to get in the process. I can remember um, Walt Dellinger telling me that during the Clinton transition, they they came up right away with 10 executive orders of, that the president signed, and they had to redo four or five of them because they had because not they done had not... the due diligence. Right. We, had, we had 37 executive orders in his menu on January 20th. Whoa. And the first one had to do with ethics in government. I think the next three had to do with Guantanamo, no torture, mm-hmm. creating task forces, a new, um, a new policy on um, uh, rendition. Um, and all those were executive orders. And I think we had a pretty high batting average. I think we, uh, the president and his political advisors picked the time when they were going to unveil this particular executive order or that particular executive order. But our batting average, I think, was pretty high on um, sticking with those executive orders and making them work. Now, that's, as I say, only the first part right. of the administration, and we had a Democratic you know, majority in both houses. Mm-hmm. One area that has come up recently in terms of uh, uh, highlighting the role, perhaps, of the White House counsel is um, President Trump's um, decision to overrule military tribunals in three cases just in the last week or so. Again, in your position as White House counsel, I'm sure you didn't have anything like that to deal with with President well, Obama. Well, we did have— yeah. Does the president have authority to do that? And we know uh, that uh, Richard Spencer, of course, the Navy secretary, was forced out because he disagreed with the president's policy. Um, I'm not sure I know all the details about why he was forced out. It may have been— a procedural. He was told to resign. Uh, I'm sure he was told to resign, and I think the Secretary of Defense was adamant that he resigned because of uh, his going to the White House without the Secretary of Defense knowing. I'm not sure I know exactly where Spencer was mm-hmm. on the issue that was um, the subject of uh, the, the of the discussion, which was the seal, the Navy seal, and whether he would have his trident removed. But if, m- military law and the JAG system, the criminal justice system inside the military, is different from the military tribunals. When I think of military tribunal, I think of the Guantanamo process mm, that is right. trying um, the alleged, the terrorists, the ones the that were responsible for 9-11. But the, the criminal justice system in the military is subject to the command structure and the chain of command. And the president as commander-in-chief uh, and the principle of civilian government of the military, civilian control of the military, has the right, and I would defend this as, as it should be, if the president thinks that there's an injustice in the military criminal justice system, he has the right to either provide clemency or to pr- provide a pardon. Now, the, how he does it and what he does it for is a different question. The question about this advanced uh, cooperation or uh, conversations that I'm sure the Obama administration would have would have undertaken did not happen in this yeah. case. This goes apparently. back to the confusion, chaos, and cooperation. Right. The president just seems to be standing up there on Mount Olympus throwing his lightning bolts about without paying much attention as to what kind of confusion um, results. I, th- I think on the question of 
the criminal justice system inside the military and, and trying war criminals, because I think Gallagher had gone through a, a trial, um, there are two issues. One is the wisdom of second-guessing what the military uh, courts had concluded. And there were two other soldiers, one a lieutenant and one a captain, right. uh, who had been convicted of war crimes that the president pardoned. And then there was Gallagher who had actually, Gallagher, who had actually been acquitted. Of murder, but, but convicted had, on a... a... Convicted on having his photo taken with right. the corpse. Um, and the, the question then, uh, after the president pardoned him, was whether or not the military, the SEALs, had the authority to take away his trident, to essentially to bust him and throw him out of the unit. And the president intervened and prevented them from doing that. You think he had the right to do that as commander-in-chief? Yes, he, he, he does. Wise or not? He had the right Wise to or not is the question. Time for a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod. And as we take a break, here's a special message for this holiday season. Feeling cold weather coming on? Wanting to get a head start on your holiday shopping? Two good reasons to take a look at those beautiful hand-woven scarves by my wife, Carol. Each scarf is hand-woven, each one's a work of art, made of rayon chenille or bamboo, and they come in all kinds of colors, designs, and patterns. Believe me, there's no better gift for yourself or for someone you love. Here's all you need to do. Check out Carol's own website, carolpressscarves.com, or follow the link to Carol Press Scarves from my own website, billpresspods.com. Yep, get it together. Have the happiest of holidays with an original, hand-woven Carol Press scarf. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. 
Let's talk a little bit about impeachment. The public hearings have concluded, uh, unless John Bolton changes his mind. <laughs> uh, do you think the Democrats made their case? Um, I do. I look at it from the first from a, a a legal point of view and a sort of beyond a reasonable doubt standard. And if you look at the the witnesses and the evidence that was presented in the two weeks, I think there were eleven witnesses or so. It was persuasive to the point of beyond a reasonable doubt. I think, and it was not just witnesses testifying as to what they heard and what they saw. You had the president's words testified to appearing in that transcript or that memo of the conversation and overheard by others. And then also you had specific witnesses that were carrying out the president's orders that testified they were the president's orders. So I came away thinking that the case was powerful. Uh, the witnesses were impressive. And the case against the president for abusing his authority was convincing. And an impeachable offense? I think an impeachable offense. Um, an impeachable offense, uh, during the early days of the, of the Clinton impeachment process, um, we were talking about conduct that did not rise to the level of an impeachable offense all the time. We said whatever you thought about what the president had done, what, however blameworthy it was, how offended you were by his comportment, it did not rise to the level of an impeachable offense. And just, to me- Just a quick note, sure. I made that argument every night on Crossfire at the time because I believed it. Yeah. I still believe it. I think impeachment was, it was put into the Constitution um, as a provision that protected the body politic from future abuse of power. It was, I hate to use this phrase, but it's accurate. It's a prophylactic. Mm -hmm. It is because of the abuse of power in the past, there's a concern that the president will do it again. And that is what I think impeachment is supposed to do. There's no legal standard. You can, Bob Byrd said, I think President Clinton did everything he's accused of, but I'm going to vote to acquit him because it would be bad for the country. <laughs> now, that's sort of not, yeah, right. not what a juror is supposed to do. It's not, it's not a jury process, really. It is, at the end of the day, is it good to have this person removed from the presidency or is it bad? So you're looking at not just a disagreement of policy. You're looking at whether the president, the incumbent president, has abused his power and misused his office. And um, I think that's a big difference between President Clinton, uh, who was impeached for a private act of misconduct, versus President Trump, who I think may well be impeached for the abuse of his power in foreign policy and national security affairs. Right. So you believe uh, that, and I, as I do, that the Democrats put forth credible witnesses, made a strong, compelling case. What did you think of their... Republicans' defense of the president's call. Well, it was disappointing. Uh, I don't think they ever really met the evidence of wrongdoing directly. Um, they were always looking at other things. Well, we should call the whistleblower. <laughs> well, we should call the Bidens. Well, we should really call Adam Schiff to find out if he consulted with the whistleblower. And I don't know that... Oh, or then the other one, Bill, was... The other one was, oh, it didn't get done. You know, yes, he might have threatened to withhold, but ultimately they, they got, still their got money the money and the investigation didn't occur. So, so what? And I think 
it was disappointing in that I think there are honorable Republicans who knew exactly what they were doing and nonetheless went ahead and did it. Mm -hmm. And uh, the final defense was uh, in 2016, Ukraine tried to interfere in the and did in the American oh, election. Was a, it wasn't Russia, right? Yeah, that was a product of Russian disinformation that seemed to find life in the White House. And as Fiona Hill said, was a total fabrication. Yeah. Right. So when you... It, what an it, impressive witness she was. By the way, yes. Yeah. Now that you mention her name. Uh, as I think they all were. And, you, you know, I, I just interjecting, I at first I was worried that these were not, um, these were career diplomats who might not take a position on impeachment, but I think their strength was that they were career yeah. Democrats, or uh, diplomats who did not take a stand on impeachment. They were there just to testify us to the facts. Right, right. Um, Straight and narrow. That's what it was really, that was one of the reasons they were so impressive, I think, actually. So it appears that articles of impeachment will be drawn up, uh, that given the votes in the House, the House will impeach Donald Trump. And then we look at the Senate trial. Uh, you've spoken a little bit about due process. What do you see coming in the Senate trial? Will it be a full trial? Will it be a quickie trial that Mitch McConnell well, guys go through? How do you, you you'll what, have what to, do you uh, anticipate? I think the person you have to ask about that is, is Mitch McConnell. Um, now, when Trent Lott and Tom Daschle put together the rules of the road for the Clinton impeachment trial, it took a little bit of work to make that happen, and there was not an agreement even when we started going, as to how this trial was going to be conducted, um, compared to Andrew Johnson's trial, where they had the rules all laid out, and uh, the trial went on for two and a half months plus, and there was forty-one witnesses, and you know they were um, uh, the senators were much much more participants in the trial process than mm -hmm. they were in the Clinton trial, um, but it really is up to each Senate group as a group. To, de to develop its own rules. And the way in which it was done in the past or the way in which it's done with judges is not binding on this sentence, so this, uh, on this Senate. So it's going to be very much up to Mitch McConnell and whether he wants to work with Chuck Schumer as Trent Lott worked with, with mm -hmm. Daschle or do it on his own. Uh, my guess is he's going to do his own rules. And so he's going to have to answer questions that we can have live witnesses he could. And Andrew Johnson, they had 41 witnesses. Are we going to have Senate participation? He could, or he could just have them sitting there like bumps on a log the way it was done mm -hmm. during the Clinton trial. Is it going to be a long trial or is it going to be a short trial? So there's a lot of variations that I don't know how he's going to make those decisions. I can only speculate. Uh, every member of the Senate is a juror. Yeah. Correct? Quote, no matter unquote. what committee they're on, right? So <laughs> That's it's right. Equal vote. <laughs> 100 jurors. Um, in the last week, the president has been inviting Republican senators down to the White House <laughs> to discuss strategy with them about uh, arguments to be made uh, or, or whatever counter arguments in this in this trial. It, it's, in your mind, does this get close to jury tampering? Um, close. <laughs> <laughs> I, it reminds me. It reminds me of an event. That happened very early on in my service. I was called to sort of coordinate or quarterback the impeachment defense from various parts of the White House into all one sort of coherent group and not just the lawyers and the outreach people and the congressional people. They were all going to have a 
a, a work a, a war room mm-hmm. and um so i when the when the star report came out and was sent up they needed another lawyer to go out and be the face of the defense and so there i was uh, on, a, on a morning talk show and the questions came do you know that your client has been calling up senators and telling asking them to sign a letter saying they'd never vote for impeachment some senator from Louisiana by the name of John Bro had been talking to President Clinton and given him the idea. And so Clinton had been calling senators. Oh. This was very early in the process. Your was, role at the time was? I was, I was, my title was assistant and special counsel to the president for impeachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I reported directly to the president, but I worked very closely with Chuck Ruff, who was White House counsel, and, and David Kendall, who was his personal lawyer. And it turns out um, that I had not known about that and he had been doing that and it stopped instantly just instantly the moment that senator bird went to the floor and started pointing his finger up at the days and said mr president do not tamper with this jury <laughs> so i there yeah. is a there is a line mm-hmm. uh which is consultation um versus tampering the question is asked often love to get your take on it Okay, look, given the current political makeup of the Senate, we know the Senate's not going to convict. So why does the House even go through this impeachment process? I think they really, given the evidence of wrongdoing here and the gravity of the conduct, I don't think they've got much of a choice. I, I, I shared the Speaker's reluctance to get into the middle of an impeachment process uh, just prior to the 2020 election because I thought it would suck oxygen out of every other aspect of public life. And it has. You know, the campaigns are now on page eight. Mm-hmm. There are four stories on the front page. All the talk shows are, are impeachment. Um, and so to the extent in, in terms of political advantage, I think it may well redound to the um, detriment of the Democrats that they're doing this because it, it, it's very difficult to have a domestic or foreign policy political position to present to the nation when you're just dealing with, you know, the Ukraine problem. So um, I think they have to do it. I think they feel they have to do it. Um, I think their hearings were very impressive, well-organized, well-structured. The lawyering, uh, Dan Goldman deserves an enormous amount of credit, as does the chairman himself. Mm -hmm. And the witnesses, of course, as I said, I thought were superb. We are speaking on a Monday afternoon, um, November 25, with uh, Greg Craig, former White House counsel for under President Obama. And later today, um, a district judge in Washington has promised that she's going to rule on whether the White House counsel, Don McGahn, has to respond to a congressional subpoena to testify in an unimpeachment-related matter. But... Um, we don't know how she's going to rule, but as a former White House counsel, can you can you inform us what you think what might be the results if she says yes, the White House counsel has to answer the subpoena, or if she says just the opposite? Is a lot uh, riding on this. Yeah, uh, there there are a lot of principles at issue here that are not easily sorted out because I, I do believe that the president is entitled to confidential advice and counsel from 
his advisors, particularly in the national security area, and executive privilege has been recognized as being strongest in that particular mm-hmm. aspect of his office. And and so I'm unhappy about the idea that um, there is a penetration of the executive privilege um, in national security affairs. And But it does seem to me that if there's prima facie evidence of misconduct and the executive privilege claim or bar is reduced in its in its strength i would be sad i would be sad to see um the entirety of executive privilege trampled because of president trump's um conduct in these matters and i think it's not an easy thing should not be an easy thing to compel the president's lawyer to go testify um and perhaps share confidences with that he'd had with the president that's an important principle and just because you have a a president who doesn't sort of seem to respect the rule of law doesn't mean you throw out these very important principles of government. Uh, do you find, as as a member of the legal profession, are you worried about the rule of law today or the system of justice today, given a president who seems to trample on the law any chance that he has, whether trying to fire the attorney general, firing the FBI director, or refusing to obey certain norms uh you know have we has the system suffered under donald trump irreparably or can it come back um well i hope it's not irreparable and i i have confidence that it will come back um it's troubling it's discouraging um in my experience in this city um and working in and out of government both on the hill as a staffer for a senator um in the in the executive branch um I found that on both sides of the aisle, at least in my experience up until this date, there's been a general respect and understanding for the basic norms of conduct. Um, and that uh, it's it's sad to see um, a person of such influence, visibility, and power not having that kind of respect. And, and clearly the rule of law suffers from it. And all the all the boundaries get blurred, if not just trampled. One person that we would expect to um, maybe fight back or uphold the rule of law would be the Attorney General of the United States. What's your take on Bill Barr? Well, I I don't know the gentleman. I've um, had uh, brief contact with him only professionally, um, but I'm you know I, I don't agree with his the way he's handling his office. It appears right that he accepts the role of. The lawyers for the president. The lawyer yeah, for the president. Donald Trump's personal lawyer. Yeah. Maybe. Seems that way. Co-sharing that role with Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe I should ask about Rudy Giuliani's conduct. Well, I think I'd know more about Rudy Giuliani's conduct than I know about Bill Barr's. I, you know, I think um, the attorney general uh, is always in a tough position, but his primary or her primary Loyalty should be to uphold the Constitution and respect the rule of law. That should, um, that should be, in fact, the primary purpose of his service. Uh, and has been under Republican and Democratic administrations, correct? Certainly has. Yeah, right. So a final question. The last time I saw you, we were together at a book party for Senator Michael Bennett from Colorado, who is... Yes, indeed, a candidate for president in 2020, although not one of the ones that's been on the stage in the last couple of debates. Uh, is he your candidate and why? 
Uh, he is my candidate. I, I've known him for years um, and think the world of him. I, he is not um, an extremist ideologically. He is, by temperament, uh, someone who sees where progress can make be made and goes to do it effectively uh, without alienating people or polarizing people. He is well-read. He's bright. He's he's uh, on top of every single policy issue, whether it's climate change, or um, you know terrorism, or particularly uh, education. Given his own personal experience as the superintendent Sup- of schools in Denver, um, it's just a mix of of youth. He's you know in his early fifties uh, of experience. He has been a an executive of a major organization, and he's been a legislator, and of temperament, um, to say nothing of intellect. So, I, yeah, I'm enthusiastically for, for Senator Bennett. And um, still a long way to go, I guess. Oh, huh? yeah, I think so. <laughs> All right. Great. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us. Enjoyed it. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today's podcast with former White House counsel Greg Craig. Again, thank you so much for joining us. But before you go, please do us a big favor. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. Just go to wherever you check out your favorite podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or tune in. Search for the Bill Press Pod and click on subscribe. It's that easy and it's free. You know, we only remind you of that because it's so important. And by the way, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod. That way you'll get notice of all upcoming podcasts so you won't miss a single one. Again, thanks so much for listening. Always good to have you with us. Now stay strong, and we'll be looking for you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.